Murders, Mysteries, and Conspiracies with author Glenn P. Klinger III is presented by the Florida Pickleball Clothing Company. For all your pickleball clothing, go to floridapickleballclothingcompany.com. Now, with today's murders, mysteries, and conspiracies, here is author Glenn P. Klinger III. Hey everybody, it's Glenn. I want to welcome you to yet another installment of Murders, Mysteries, and Conspiracies. If you're a returning listener, I want to thank you for coming back and giving us one more try. If you are a first-time listener, I want to welcome you to the show. And if you're looking for a program where we talk about various events in history, murders, mysteries, or conspiracies, I try and give you as much information as I can and let you take that, run with it, look it up yourself, learn a little bit, get back to me, and we can discuss it. I think it's important to have dialogue in this country and I would love to hear from you. You can reach me through my website. Today, we're going to talk about some interesting things. I was talking to some friends the other day, talking about the Super Bowl, talking about sporting events. And this person said, oh yeah, those things are all rigged. It's, it's, all, it's all predetermined who's going to win. And I was just shocked. I, I thought, really? How could you do that? How is that even possible? So I started going out and researching it and found some very interesting information on not only on gambling in sports, but people that thought that some of the Super Bowls and other events were actually um, swayed by events, swayed by officiating, swayed by whatever. And then how they're marketing these leagues now, a lot of them were hurting viewership years ago. The last few years, a lot of them have taken a downturn in people watching and now they're starting to find really interesting ways of marketing their sport. So we're going to start looking at gambling. People have been gambling on things for decades and baseball was bad in the early 1900s with gambling. One of the biggest gamblers was Ty Cobb. Ty Cobb was one of the best baseball players in history, played for the Detroit Tigers, and he loved gamble. And there wasn't any way around it. Back then, a lot of those guys did that. That was a well-known thing. But a lot of it stemmed from these guys, the way they were paid. Players back then were working in mills and they were just trying to make a living. And professional baseball came along and these guys were like, hey, I want to make a living playing baseball. The owners that started these teams, a lot of them were very, very business savvy and they wanted to make money off these organizations. The players even though they were paid very, very well for the time, they weren't making the money that these guys are making now. And a lot of them had second jobs. They did other things to make a living. Ty Cobb got suspended for 10 games because he went up in the stands after being verbally lambasted by a spectator. Back then, they didn't have a lot of protection for the players. The fans would buy a ticket and go out there and feel like they had the right to berate these guys and, and throw personal slurs at them. So Ty Cobb went up in the stands and beat some poor guy half to death and was suspended. The fans came to his uh, defense and his fellow players did too. And they said, we're not going to play until you reinstate him. So they brought in replacement players and tried to get around it with replacement players, but they soon found out that that was pretty stupid because the replacement players got, got beat 24 to two by the athletics in a game. So they decided to 
bring these guys back. And it began a, a time where the owners started to become a little more lenient to the players. As far as money, they tried to look after them. But one guy that was notorious for being a cheapskate was uh, Charles Comiskey. And he owned the Chicago White Sox. They had one of the best teams ever in 1919. And what happened that year was the Black Sox scandal. If you've never heard of it, was when eight members of the Chicago White Sox were accused of losing the 1919 World Series against the Cincinnati Reds. On purpose, they threw the games in exchange for money. And those men were eventually thrown out of baseball. You had a collection of guys there that were pretty good ballplayers. Chick Gandle headed this thing up. He met with, in 1919 in September, with Joe Sport Sullivan. He was a big gambling guy and a bookie in Boston. And they just got plans to throw the whole World Series for $80,000. But he had to get guys on board with it. Chick got a bunch of the players together, what he thought were the key players. And they met at his hotel room in New York City and um, talked about it. And he ended up getting these guys on board. Their starting pitchers, Eddie Sakote and Lefty Williams, would pitch the majority of the games in the World Series. So the fix was in. They received a little bit of money from the gamblers up front to get the thing going. And then Eddie hit the first batter, which was the signal that the fix was in. And they started losing games and they got paid for a couple games. And then they realized they weren't going to get any more money out of these gamblers because a lot of people started seeing how badly some of these guys were playing. And they thought that something was up. They kind of got the feeling that something was being fixed. They didn't pay him and then he's tried to come back and win, but they ended up getting beat. They got thrown out of baseball. Kennesaw Mountain Lannis, the commissioner of baseball was put in there to clean it up. And he did. He got rid of these guys, said men associated with crooks and gamblers uh, could expect no leniency. He said that in relation to Buck Weaver's attempt to get back in. Now, these guys, if you don't know who the, the guys that threw it were, Chick Gander, he was the first baseman, and he's a coach pitcher. Happy Felch was a center fielder. Shoeless Joe Jackson. Now, Shoeless Joe batted 375 for the series. He maintained he was innocent. He did take $5,000. He had a series leading 375 batting average, including the series only home run, threw out five base runners and, and handled 30 chances in the outfield with no errors. Joe was kind of conned into that when his roommate, Lefty Williams, le left $5,000 in cash in their room for him. Uh, Fred McMillan was a utility player, didn't play much. Swede Reisberg was a shortstop. He went two for 25 at the plate and committed four errors in the series. Buck Weaver said he was never involved in the meetings, but it was Buck's idea to begin with, but he never followed up on it. Lefty Williams went 0 for 3 with a 6.63 ERA, so he pretty much was out. But baseball had a long history of gambling, and that Black Sox scandal really hurt the league. So that's probably the next big scandal in baseball was in 2013 when 13 players were suspended for between 50 and 211 games in connection with the biogenesis doping scandal. I guess where those guys were on steroids and, and doping. But F. Scott Fitzgerald said the 1919 World Series may have destroyed the faith of 50 million people, about half the population, but throwing baseball games was commonplace. And... Emil Happy Felch, a White Sox fixer, said, playing rotten ain't that hard to do. So there's a lot of things that, you know, baseball was in a bad place at that time. 
And so Kennesaw Mountain Landis overlooked the thing in 1926 when Ty Cobb and Tris Speaker got together with a couple other guys and decided to uh, fix a game so they could get third place and get paid. Players could get paid if they were in third place, they'd get an extra $500. And uh, so they rigged it up. And when it finally got to the attention of Mountain Landis, he said, look, people were tired of that. And they're fed up with scandals and they don't want any more of it. So they dropped it and let it pass, which really wasn't fair. You got to remember Ty Cobb was one of the all-time greats, 366 career batting average, nine consecutive batting titles. He was a pretty good player, but he loved gambling. That brings up the question about others. And I watched some stuff the other day about Super Bowls rate. And a lot of people started with Super Bowl three. 1969, two previous Super Bowls saw the NFL teams just run over the AFL. And the league was in a bad place. They wanted to combine the NFL and the, and the AFL into today's NFL. And rumor had it that if you had another lopsided game, that nobody was going to want to do it. Joe Namath steps up and guarantees a victory for the AFL um, Jets against the the most powerful undefeated team, the Colts. And there's no way that they would lose that game. Everybody said, but Namath guaranteed it. Now, Vince Lombardi went on record saying the Jets had no chance in victory and that the owner of the Colts, Carol Rosenblum, was, was known to be a heavy gambler and he died under mysterious circumstances in 1979. Large bet was placed in the city of Baltimore and according to urban legend, it was Rosenblum betting three million on the Jets. Colts Pro Bowl defensive end Bubba Smith blamed quarterback Earl Morrill for throwing the game. He appeared to be missing wide receivers. He threw for only 71 yards and threw three interceptions. He was 6-17. And the Jets went on to win 16-7 and led to the merger of the NFL and the AFL and securing the future of the Super Bowl. So, interesting. Now, I saw something about the Super Bowl 37, which was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers beat the Oakland Raiders 48 to 21. Multiple players in the Raiders teams accused head coach Bill Callahan of throwing the game uh, against his former mentor, John Gruden. Now, Callahan was the offensive coordinator under Gruden in Oakland and was promoted to head coach when Gruden left for Tampa. But Jerry Rice, Ron Woodson, Tim Brown, and Barrett Robbins all questioned the coach's decision to change the game plan just two days before the game. They practiced a run-heavy attack all week Callahan flipped the script on them and told them they were going to throw the ball 60 times. So if it wasn't enough, Callahan used the same audible calls that they had used when Gruden was in Oakland and the other team. So we knew what they were going to do. Super Bowl 40, the Steelers 21, uh, Seahawks 10. The Seahawks had the NFL's best offense and MVP, Sean Alexander. But outside of the Pacific Northwest, everybody was cheering for Pittsburgh. It was final season for Jerome Bettis. There's your feel-good story. And uh, officials didn't waste any time making their mark on the game, what appeared to be the first touchdown of the game, with two minutes left in the first quarter. But play was flagged for offensive pass interference. John Madden said, quote, when you think of pass interference, that's not what you think about, unquote. The Seahawks appeared to have well, first and goal on the one-yard line, setting him up to take the lead. And the referee, Bill Levy, threw a flag for holding, even though uh, he was the only one in the, that saw that. When you look at sports 
uh, in general, there was NBA referee Tim Donahue was sentenced uh, to time in federal prison for his role in Operation Flagrant Foul, a scandal that involved NBA referees betting on games. You had several cases of point shaving in college in Major League Baseball. Is no stranger, as we mentioned earlier, to gambling. You get people, they, they get upset if their team loses, and they think, well, it had to be rigged. When you look at it, you think to yourself, could these things be manipul manipulated? Is that even possible? But the referees can manipulate a game in more ways than you realize. Even if referees aren't calling games truly, you can see what's going on. And I think they try and combat that with the replays and things like that. But the players still decide the games. When you look at players, they're probably approached very early on. One of the most tried and true methods is point shaving, whereby a player attempts to keep his or her team from covering a point spread in order to be rewarded by gamblers. Practice was a, was a big thing decades ago, and there was a lot of high-profile scandals at the University of Kentucky and other college programs. There was several books written about this that are pretty good, but point shaving is not a relic of the past, according to some people. And since 2004 and every four years thereafter, an organization that anonymously surveys 20,000 student-athletes by gambling and on the question of whether he or she has ever been approached in shaving points, anywhere from 1.2 to 2.4% of the respondents admitted that they had. And those are just the ones that admitted it. So there's probably others that, that did. A 2006 study by economist Justin Walters analyzed the results of more than 40,000 Division I games between 1989 2005 and found that a favored team covered the spread 50% of the time. However, when a team was favored by 12 or more, the favored coverage was only 48% of the time and just missed covering winning by 11 when they were favored by 12. Mark Bechtel of Sports Illustrated to Walford's the deviations which occurred in 6% of the games with large spreads are too statistically significant to be random. So worldwide, gambling is about a trillion dollar endeavor with 80, 380 billion wagered each year just in the U.S. So take the low estimate, 80 billion, that's more than three times the revenue generated in 2012 by all major leagues. Debunking the misconceptions, why the NFL is not rigged after uh, a lot of people think, well, the league's neutrality, the NFL doesn't have a stake in the game's outcome. Simply put, the league doesn't benefit from favoring one team or the other. Complexity of rigging, successfully rigging a game could require an immense web of participants. They don't feel that that can be uh, done and it's highly improbable. Legalization of sports betting in 2018. I only fan these speculations. Whenever a game takes unexpected turn, fingers are started to point because people are losing money. And that's what's bad. And there's a potential risk, just like that NBA official, Tim Donahue, people getting arrested. NFL's consistently looking at it to see if those things could be happening. There's sad situations when guys become pulled into this. And it's like Art Schleister, he was a quarterback at Ohio State. You know, Art got addicted to gambling. And, and I don't know if he was betting on his team or if he was just betting in general, but he got himself in a real mess. He had been, a, he was an outstanding quarterback at Ohio State for a number of seasons. We got down the wrong path. The guy became a gambling addict. And ended up getting arrested, spent time in jail, lost pretty much everything, and all because of gambling. So it's not a good thing to get into. 
But you had guys like Pete Rose should be in the Hall of Fame. Isn't because he got caught gambling, betting on his teams, betting. Uh, I don't think he ever bet against his team. I think he bet on his teams, bet on other uh, games, and it ended up coming back to bite him. And he got caught and got banned from the league, just like old shooters Joe and them. And uh, he still can't get in the Hall of Fame. It's kind of unfortunate when you got guys like Ty Cobbs skirt around it and get in, and you got Pete Rose, Charlie Hustle can't get in. So these industries and these leagues are big money. And they always want these feel-good stories. As I'd mentioned earlier, they want these people that are like, hey, he's down on his luck. He's getting ready to retire. He's got to win it all for his team. These feel-good stories generate revenue. I mean, these leagues, 2023 was like one of the worst years on record for Major League Baseball um, viewership. And the NFL was hurting for about two or three years. But how do they combat that? One of the biggest things is this Taylor Swift effect. And you've got Taylor Swift. I think she's a great entertainer. Puts on a fantastic show. She is now dating one of the players, Travis Kelsey. He's a tight end for the Kansas City Chiefs. And this story has just ballooned. The sales among millennials and younger people has just gone through the roof. Swift has a huge uh, fan base and her North American ticket sales on this Eras tour has generated $2.2 billion in revenue. The news surrounding Swift and Kelsey began in July when Travis told his brother, Jason Kelsey, in the podcast New Heights that he'd made a friendship and, and got her number and had gone to her concert and was, was unable to meet her. I guess they started, started dating. It just became an anomaly. Ticket sales began to rise and fans scrambled for tickets. Swift would make an appearance uh, at, say, at games. Vivid seat sales had an increase of 173% increase in traffic for the Chiefs-Jets game. And uh, Kelsey's jersey secured a place among the top five in NFL jersey sales on September 24th with a staggering 400% surge in sales across Fanatic's network of sites, including NFLshop.com. Following social media, the Chiefs' social media following experienced remarkable growth with an increase of over 200,000 followers. While Kelsey's own follower count skyrocketed to 1.1 million in October, according to Bleacher Report. It's just an amazing phenomenon. I don't think it's going to stop. I think this thing is, the NFL is going to milk this thing for all it's worth. Because as they said, it's a perfect storm of pop culture and sport colliding in a really positive way with two incredibly passionate fan bases merging together and interacting as they never have before said Ian Trombetta, this NFL senior vice president of social influencer and content marketing. So they're seeing this huge gain. The audience peaked 29.2 million viewers and the biggest demographic gains were among girls ages 12 to 17, women 18 to 24, and women older than 35. So for comparison, the 2022 World Series commanded less than half the audience with 12 million viewers in the final game of game six. So the Taylor Swift effect is, is not a joke. I mean, these things are the way that uh, these people can market these leagues. And this is what they need to do in, in order to combat these, these sales that are dragging. Now, is this put together? Are these people really dating? I'm not going to say it way. I don't think it's matter to me, but it's great for the league. The NFL thinks there's a ton of room for improvement. It says 47% of the fans are women, and it's the number one sport among people between ages 8 to 24. So 
they're hoping to capitalize on this. There's no doubt they will. I think it's going to take off for them. But I think that the impact is something that's real. And I think that they're going to keep, they'll keep pushing it because they're going to have to, to keep this league going. Are they overdoing it? No, I don't think so. I think that they know that they'll ride this as long as they can. If these folks end up breaking up next week, that'll be the story. But it's like professional wrestling. It's like entertainment. And people want to hear these stories. They want to see about these people's lives. And I think that's what's missing in the NFL. That's what's missing in baseball. That's what's missing in a lot of sports. People wonder why the fan base in NASCAR is so strong. And it's because NASCAR has a different way of promoting their sport. NASCAR drivers are generally more uh, accessible to fans. A lot of them go to different events and make themselves available. I think sports, especially baseball and the NFL and even basketball, where these guys, they're, they're kind of arm's length type of people. They're staying back from the fans because it's crazy. I mean, you, it's like the Beatles who get swamped. So I can understand them doing that. But in the process of doing that, people don't get to know them. And I think that's the thing is people have to get to know you, have to get to know your story. And when they get to know you as a person, it's like these people dating. That's cool. I'm glad they're enjoying themselves. And I hope it's for real. But that's what's driving people to go see this. They want to look at these people like real people and, and know that they're going through the same things they're going through. They're going through dating and seeing each other. Two high-profile people thrown into this situation is interesting. And I think those stories uh, resonate with fans. And I think that's what the NFL, uh, baseball, and basketball is going to have to do. They're going to get back to the grassroots with their fans and understand what their fans want and understand that they need to be more approachable in order for these people to identify with them and want to watch them play. Because I talk to people all the time and they say, these guys are just a bunch of rich millionaires. They're out there playing and they're belly aching when things don't go their way. And, and it's really not a fair assessment because I think that given a sport where the, the life expectancy of a player in the game is very, very short. I think it's four years in the NFL. I mean, you got to make what you can make. And these guys are making money, but I don't begrudge them anything they make. And I'm one of those people that I never jealous of anybody's, what they make. I think it's great. If you can make it, get out there and make it and can enjoy it while you can. And players that retire early, I think it's great. If you got the money to do it and you can retire early, get out of the game where you're not too beaten up. I think this is great for the league. A lot of people say these things are scripted. They say that they, they already know that the, uh, the Ravens and the 49ers are going to play in the Super Bowl and the Ravens are going to win because Harbaugh's brother won for Michigan and they want to have feel good stories. So they want the other Harbaugh to win the Super Bowl. It's just a feel good thing. So I don't know. I mean, this is what you're hearing, but I don't know if that's true. But that's the story for today. Murders, Mysteries, and Conspiracies. Learn a little bit about the Black Sox scandal. Learn a little bit about what people think about gambling in the NFL and whether these games are rigged or whether they have been rigged in the past. And a little bit about the Taylor Swift effect for the NFL. So I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you'll listen to all the podcasts on Spotify and iTunes. hope you'll come back and listen on YouTube. Watch these things on YouTube. Watch my two-minute mysteries and some of the podcasts I've put on there. So until we talk again, this is Glenn with Murders, Mysteries, and Conspiracies. Have a good day. 
You have been listening to Murders, Mysteries, and Conspiracies with author Glenn P. Klinger III, presented by the Florida Pickleball Clothing Company.com.